welcome to the Kingdom Truth Podcast. On our podcast, we teach the good news of Jesus Christ and biblical principles that empower all people with real-life, timeless applications. I am your host, Bible teacher, Yolanda Tyler. Well, praise the name of the Lord, everybody. We are excited about God's word on this day. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We pray for every listener that they will hear your word and receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start a new sermon series. The title is Cultivating a Heart of Humility. I will be reading in your hearing from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Now let's look at a little background of this text. The author is the Apostle Paul. He was on his second missionary journey. He's writing this epistle from a Roman prison. The audience is the saints of Jesus Christ at Philippi, which includes the leaders of the church, the overseers, and the deacons. The congregation at Philippi was the first church to be established in Europe, and the Apostle Paul loved them very much. He had a deep affection for them. And now to understand the context of our scripture lesson, let's look at some of the previous chapters in the book of Philippians. In chapter one, the apostle Paul is praying for the saints and encouraging them. In verse nine, the apostle Paul is praying that they grow in love and have a genuine knowledge of God. In verse 10, he prays for wise discernment and for them to be sincere and blameless. And then in verse 11, he prays that they would become more and more like Jesus. And then we read in Philippians 1.21, a very powerful, familiar verse. The Apostle Paul writes, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ was the center and essence of his life. And his main purpose was living to glorify God. One commentator stated, Christ was his all-consuming focus. And then in verse 27, the Apostle Paul writes, For the saints to be steadfast in one spirit, having one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's encouraging them to keep the main thing the main thing and calling them to show forth unity. Then when we get to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, there's a continuation of exhortation for the saints at Philippi. And he writes for them to be comforted in Christ's love. 
to be merciful, joyful, to be of the same mind, same love, and to be united in purpose. And he also encourages them to live in harmony with each other. These are positive words of encouragement and exhortation. But when we get to our foundational text, the Apostle Paul begins with two negatives. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. The King James Virgin says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So our first biblical principle in this lesson is to cultivate a heart of humility. We must put away selfishness. The phrase in this text, do nothing, is very plain and clear. There are no exceptions. He didn't say some things or a few things. He writes not one thing are we to do from selfishness or empty conceit. One commentary stated, but nothing requires an ongoing commitment to humility. When the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle, there was an underlying problem in the church at Philippi. There was selfishness and self-centeredness among certain believers in the church. The word selfishness in this text means a desire to put one's self forward. Another layer of meaning is electioneering or intriguing for office or interest in a position. And even now we see in our local churches too often that certain believers are so selfish and self-centered. They are self-focused and self-serving. And instead of being Christ-centered as the Apostle Paul, they focus on themselves. You know, sometimes we sing this song in church, falling in love with Jesus is the best thing that I've ever done. But instead of falling in love with Jesus, you have some saints, they are falling in love with themselves. It's all about them. They are very selfish and fleshly. And that same word selfishness in the King James Version is strife. The word strife means pumping up oneself or wanting to be important or being pretentious. You have so many believers in the church that are jockeying for positions and trying to make themselves look powerful or significant in the sight of other people. And instead of these believers seeking the Lord, they're seeking a position or a title or power. Some of them are seeking control or to please themselves or even to be seen. They are so self-consumed. And we see it in the modern day church today. So many believers are concerned about themselves than the overall vision, mission, and work of the church. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be provided to you. We are to seek the Lord God. It is not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ, his spirit, his power, and his anointing. We are to do all things for his glory. Selfishness has no place in a believer's life and definitely not in the church. Selfishness is sin. Scripture says in Galatians 5, 19 to 20, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. 
Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, there it is, seditions, heresies. When God's people are selfish, they will do anything or say anything to get what they want when they want it. They are self-focused and they are more concerned about their own agenda than the kingdom agenda. They are all in the flesh and the flesh always seeks to satisfy self independent of God's will. Selfish believers are spiritually blind. They are blind to the desires or the needs of others. They hold a me, myself, and I mentality and theology. And a lot of times what we don't realize is when we live our lives just for ourselves, that sin of selfishness affects us personally. It affects our marriages. It affects our children and our children's children. It affects us generationally. And one thing we all know We don't have to teach our children to be selfish. Babies and children come into this world selfish. And the first words in their vocabulary that they say and articulate very well is mine. But we have to teach our children to share with others and to give and be kind. All of us were born in sin with a selfish, sinful nature. King David writes in the book of Psalm, chapter 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And as believers and children of God, regardless of our age, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are expected at some point to grow up and mature spiritually. And we must take responsibility for our attitudes, our actions, and our behaviors and put our flesh in check and in submission to the Holy Ghost. And there are some questions that we all need to ponder. Are we growing and maturing spiritually? Are we still behaving as infants or as children? Are we allowing the flesh to dominate our attitudes and our relationships? Or are we still being selfish and causing trouble in the church? If the truth were told, there are some Christians who have been saved and attending church for 20 and some for 30 years who have not grown up or developed spiritually. They're still wanting things their way or the highway. They try to run the pastor and tell him what to do just so they can feel important. We see it in the worship ministry, in the choir. They have to sing the solo part every Sunday. And in most times, they're in the flesh and there's no anointing or no power and they're not able to usher in God's presence. We see it in leadership roles where the saints want to be up front and they're jockeying for positions. We see it a lot in traditional denominational settings where people have so many titles and degrees more than a thermometer just to make them feel important. Selfishness has no place in the church or in a believer's life. It is ungodly. It is sinful. And 
It has destroyed many, many marriages. I know of a couple right now in the middle of a divorce because the husband or the wife or both of them are selfish and irresponsible with their finances. And sometimes we only hear one side of the story, his side or her side. But the bottom line is they have opened up the door to the enemy through the spirit of selfishness to wreak havoc in that marriage. The wife complains about her husband making major purchases without her consideration or involvement. Then the husband complains about his wife running up the credit cards and making unnecessary purchases and putting them in deep debt. And all of that craziness tears the marriage asunder. The sin of selfishness has no place in a believer's life. And sometimes as wives, we say our husbands are selfish, but we need to repent and be delivered because that sin of selfishness will show up when we least expect it. We think we have it all together. For an example, something as simple as our husbands might ask for us to buy a certain item when we go to the store. And we find ourselves saying, we have so many of that one item already, but what does that matter? Because when we go to the store, we buy whatever we want to buy. And as my mom would say, that is pure D selfishness. And I can remember in the early years of my business in the eighties, when I was very young, I just knew I was going to be a power broker. But it did not take long before reality set in and the Lord began to show me, it is not all about you. This is your plan. Now let me show you my plan and my will for your life. And it wasn't long before I had to make a decision to turn away from the sin of selfishness and to yield to the Lord's will and plan for my life. And I thank God that I did because right now I'm still enjoying beautiful business opportunities and the blessings of the Lord. And he's allowing us to channel those resources to bless the kingdom of God. The word of God says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. We are living in the last days and it's a terrible time of societal degeneration and moral degradation. We see it all around us. And the first characteristic of the last days on the list is lovers of self. It seems like everyone is consumed with themselves. And what will it take for us to put away selfishness and to set aside our own agenda for God's agenda? Matthew 16, 24 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. 
That ought to be the sentiment of our hearts to die to selfishness, to die to our own plans, our own wills, and to die to unrighteousness. Jesus Christ should be sitting on the throne of our hearts, not self. He must take first place above everything and everyone in our lives. And until we die to self and selfishness, we can never walk in humility and live for the Lord. Because to cultivate a heart of humility, we must put away selfishness and deal with the flesh if we want to be used by God. Now let's continue in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. The word empty conceit in the King James translation is vainglory. The word vainglory means empty pride, self-glory, or self-promotion. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, the Bible says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle, there was an underlying problem in the church at Philippi. It was the spirit of pride. And too often we see that same spirit running rampant, unleashed, and unaddressed in our modern day churches. We see it in the pulpit, in the pew. We see it at church meetings and conferences, whether in person or on Zoom. And it'll even show up at a prayer breakfast. I'll never forget, we had a young lady who was to share on breast cancer awareness at our prayer breakfast right before the prayer sessions began. She was only given a few minutes, but this sister went on and on and on. And you talk about empty conceit and vain glory on full display. And we call ourselves serving the Lord when in actuality, it's all about us. And we can be so out of order. The spirit of pride also shows up in Sunday school classes and church leadership meetings. You have some believers who will talk nonstop during a Sunday school lesson and they'll hijack the class trying to prove their worth and trying to make themselves look important and more insightful in front of others. These are saints who've been in the church for years. We see it on display at leadership meetings where certain believers just bring their own ideas and opinions and they know everything about everything. No one else can get a word in. They totally dominate the entire meeting. They are unruly and so out of order. There is no place for vain glory or self-promotion in the church or in the body of Christ as a whole. All the glory belongs to God. It belongs to Jesus. Isaiah chapter 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Psalm 92, 2 declares, Given to the Lord, the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. He that is proud eats up himself. This is a quote by William Shakespeare. It says, pride is his own glass, his own trumpet, his own chronicle. Pride is sin. Sin is like a cancer. It eats us up and tears us up on the inside and it spreads and grows. 
The sin of pride is very deceptive, dangerous, and destructive. And when we walk in pride, we not only open the door to the devil, but we leave the door wide open for him to walk in. He uses pride to manipulate and control our lives and to do his dirty work. It is the sin of pride that caused Satan to rebel in sin against God. He wanted to be worshiped and wanted to take the praise and glory from the Lord God Almighty and put it on himself. Ezekiel 28, 17 says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupt your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. The Amplified Virgin says, your heart was proud and arrogant because of your beauty. Lucifer's fall was because of pride. And Isaiah gives us a glimpse of what was going on in Lucifer's mind and heart. Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 to 14 declares, How are you fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan was self-consumed with pride. He no longer wanted to serve under God. Pride had him thinking that he was generating his own God-given blessings and talents by himself. He became so dissatisfied and thought he deserved more honor than God, his creator. Satan had an inflated opinion of himself and his own self-importance grew like a cancer. Satan eventually attempted to exalt himself above God. Then the Lord God hurled him and threw him right out of heaven. Pride is an eliminator. It eliminated Lucifer from his God-given position and purpose in the very presence of God. Pride is an equal opportunity eliminator, and it will eliminate us too. When believers become conceited, arrogant, and prideful, God cannot use us. When we become full of ourselves, it is devilish, conniving, dangerous, and it leads to destructive behaviors and patterns. It destroys healthy relationships. When we are obsessed with ourselves, our minds never turn to God in repentance, and we never confess pride as a sin in our lives. So then we walk around with unconfessed sin in our hearts, and it is a very dangerous place and position to be in, and we experience grave consequences because of it. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 17, these six things does the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look. Pride is the number one 
abominable sin. And it's the first one on the list of sins that God hates. When God sees pride in the heart, he hates it. God is against pride and has always been against pride. Proverbs chapter 13, 13 declares, by pride comes nothing but strife. Pride is the root cause of all contention and strife. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We think it's resistance from the enemy, but it's from the Lord. Sooner or later, one way or another, God will arrange circumstances and events in our lives out of his love for us that will cause us to humble ourselves and bow. Proverbs 29 verse 23 says, Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. We have an example in scripture in the life of King Hezekiah. When his heart was lifted up in pride, it affected and infected everyone around him, a whole nation of people. Second Chronicles chapter 32 verses 24 to 26 reads, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did nothing in return for the benefit he received. But his heart was proud, and therefore wrath came upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. And then the word of God says, when Hezekiah humbled himself, he and all of Jerusalem did not experience God's wrath. The Lord held back his wrath. Verse 26 in 2 Chronicles 32 goes on to say, However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. C.S. Lewis once quoted, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And if we are to cultivate a heart of humility, we must put away pride. Now let's continue in our foundational text. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. And it says, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Our third biblical principle is, in order to cultivate a heart of humility, we must put others before ourselves. The King James Version translation of that verse says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Here we see a contrast from the previous part of this verse. It goes from negative to a positive exhortation. The word but is simply a conjunction, meaning nevertheless or therefore. We are always to act in lowliness of mind and remain humble before the Lord. In our last leadership training series, Apostle Giles spoke a powerful word in our hearts and he encouraged us to stay humble and hungry. The word humility in this text means lowly, a base, or a deep sense of one's moral littleness. 
Another layer of meaning is unpretentious or without airs about himself. Simply put, it means to think modestly of oneself. Even though a person knows he's more intelligent, gifted, or talented than others, he is to think lowly. And that is what God wants for all of us. C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Charles Spurgeon once quoted, Humility is the proper estimate of oneself. Now, here are some practical applications for our lesson. Number one, pray and ask the Lord to show you if there are any areas of selfishness or pride in your heart. Number two, deal with them in repentance. Number three, learn to quickly recognize and reject selfishness and pride. Number four, read and meditate on scriptures pertaining to the lesson. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 2, Proverbs chapter 13 verse 13, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18, and Proverbs chapter 29 verse 23. And you might ask Bible teacher Tyler, so who is this Jesus? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for salvation that's taking place all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Truth Podcast with Bible teacher Yolanda Tyler. Please subscribe to our podcast so you will know when the next episode is published. To hear more biblical teachings and give to support the ministry, please visit our website at www.thekingdomtruth.org. That is www.thekingdomtruth.org. God bless you until we meet again.